0: The baby rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas park Frosty the snowman was it We're going to be starting a new series. It's called uh, the Original Christmas Playlist. And so if you would open your Bibles, or your phones, your tablets, scrolls, whatever. Sorry, it's an old joke. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at four songs in the, in the birth stories, the, uh, the, uh, the Christmas stories in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And so if you would turn to... Uh, Luke chapter 1, and we'll jump in and get started. Okay, and I'm going to be starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your inspired and fallible word this morning. Because nobody came to hear Russell. They didn't come to hear my thoughts or my, my ideas, but they came to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in and through your word this morning, that it would convict us and move us into your grace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it is that season, it's that time of year, isn't it? And you know how you know, it's the songs, they start, right? You, you, know, you maybe notice it first in the store, you know, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, they start playing the, the songs, right? It's that time, it's the Christmas music, you know? And, and honestly, there is nothing like Christmas music that can get, begin to get us into that Christmas spirit other than these songs, right? And, but but it's a, it is a known fact that Christmas songs, Christmas carols will get you into the Christmas spirit. You know how I know? Because Buddy the Elf told us. Watch, I'll show you. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. No way. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Well oh, it's easy. It's just like talking, except louder and longer, and you move your voice up and down. I can sing, but I just choose not to sing, especially in front of other people. Well, if you sing alone, you can sing in front of other people. There's no difference. Actually, there's a big difference. No, th- no there isn't. Wait. I'm singing. I'm in a store, and I'm singing. I'm in a store, and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. So we know that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is sing aloud for all to hear, right? It's it's what he said. I love that scene. (laughs) It's the best movie ever. But it is. I mean, you start hearing these songs, and all of a sudden, you begin to kind of get that Christmas spirit. I mean, and I was actually thinking that this week, because, like, I really wasn't feeling it, you know? I was like, oh, Christmas, got to do all this, get all those decorations out, the, out of the attic. And it's just a lot of work, you know? And it's a lot of hassle, and you got to spend a lot of money, I and all this and that and the other. And, but Amanda had the, the songs on. And I have to say, man, I started getting into the spirit again, right? But so it, that's how we get Christmas Spirit, but what is it? What is Christmas spirit? And how do we really get genuine Christmas spirit? That's kind of what I want to ask over the actually the next several weeks, next next four weeks, leading all the way up to Christmas Eve. I want to ask, how do we get real Christmas spirit? And what is that Christmas spirit we should have? And and so just like you might get ready for Christmas by preparing a Christmas playlist, right? We go to our iTunes or some other app, um, Amazon Music, and we, and we borrow or, or uh, Spotify, get somebody else's Christmas playlist. Well, We're going to go way back to the very beginning and, and look at the original Christmas playlist. There was one. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapters 1 and 2, we see four songs kind of arise out of the narrative. And so we're going to look at... Mary's song today, the famous Magnificat. We're going to look at Zachariah's song, and then the angel's song, and then eventually Simeon's song. And they're pretty cool. And I think out of those songs, we're going to see what real Christmas spirit should be and what it is. Okay? And so this first song we see is Mary's song. But let's, let's back up. We read the song, um, but uh, w- what's the story here? Okay? And so let's, let's, let's Back up and get the context here, okay? So in in Luke's gospel, you're you're introduced to this uh, young uh, lady named Mary. And an angel comes to her and tells her something pretty remarkable. Mary, she's betrothed. She's not married and hasn't been with a man before. And an angel comes to her and tells her, you are going to have a child, even though you're not married yet. And you can imagine what she might have thought. She, you know, there, you, she's got to be this sense of, hey, somebody help her, this sense of what's going on here. But, so Mary is told by the angel that uh, um, you're going to have a child, okay? And, and so here's Mary. Mary is young, we, we think probably a young teenager, probably 12 or 13 years old, and she lives in a place called Nazareth. And Nazareth, as far as we can tell, was right outside, right out, right outside of, of a city in Galilee called Sephora. And Sephora wasn't a very big place. And Nazareth was probably the modern-day equivalent to a trailer park. It, it, was a, it was a pretty poor, pretty small little town right outside of Sephora. And so here she is. She's virtually a nobody. And here comes an angel telling her, you are going to have a baby. And so she's a little worried. And maybe she's already feeling the signs. Maybe she's starting to get that morning sickness thing going on. You know, Women just kind of know. And so she's thinking, oh, no. And so she gets out of town. She's like, I'm out of here. Because according to Jewish law and just normal custom, it was bad to be pregnant if you weren't married. It's just the kind of thing. Nowadays, it's more common, of course. But back then, it was frowned upon. And actually, in Israelite law, she could have been stoned to death. So she gets out of town, and she goes to visit her, her, um, her aunt, Elizabeth, who, when this angel comes, tells her, hey, you're going to have this child you're gonna, and all this, and, and as a sign to show you this is true, your aunt, who is too old to have children, they've been wanting to have children her whole life, this, 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 your aunt is going to have a baby. And so, so she's probably leaving town thinking, I'm in trouble. But, okay, but if, if so, if this is really true, I'm going to go find out. And so she goes, and she meets her aunt. And, and her aunt is pregnant. And comes out and says, when, when, when you came, the, the baby in my womb actually leaped for joy. And then Mary responds, and she breaks out into song. Now, some would say, well, this, this isn't a song. Let me tell you, it was, okay? If you know anything about um, Middle Eastern uh, Jewish Hebrew culture, they are very musical, okay? They didn't recite poetry like we do, like us Westerners, you know. Well, you know, we get up on the stage and, with our piece of paper and say our poem or whatever. No, it was very musical. And so she breaks out into a song, a song that's very reminiscent to some of the songs we see in the Old Testament, like Hannah and, and uh, others that would break out into these songs. And so she breaks out into a song. And, and, and this is the song that we see and that we're looking at this morning. And it kind of reminds me, actually, yesterday. Um, we were watching a football game, which was, was kind of nice, because it was like poetic justice. You know, Georgia lost to Auburn uh, three weeks ago. And we and the whole game, like, I, I couldn't eat, man. it's was like, are you hungry? I'm no. You know, I'm like really nervous. I'm like really caught up in this game. I don't know why. It's just a football game, but I do. I get caught up in it. And as soon as that final... That number runs out. The timer runs out. I almost broke into song, but I didn't. I mean, I, we were yelling. We were jumping around the house, whatever. But, like, if I could sing, I, I probably would have, you know, if I could compose a song, I might have broke out into song or something, you know. But that's what, okay. And this song here is called the Magnificat because it begins with Mary praising God. She says, I magnify God. That doesn't mean that she makes God bigger, but that she's realizing how big and how awesome God is. She has this moment, and she says, I magnify God, and I I, I delight, I rejoice in Him, is what we see her singing here. And so she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So Mary's Christmas spirit is a spirit, here it is, so the heart of Christmas spirit is a spirit of worship and delight in God, okay? I mean, that's just, that is the, the basis, the, the heart of genuine Christmas spirit. So it's Christmas spirit isn't, you know, getting into getting presents and stuff. It's not like a sentimental feeling we get, a romantic idea or something like that. Christmas spirit genuinely, biblically, is a heart of worship, and it's also a heart of delight in God, And that's what we see Mary. It just bursts out of her into a song, right? It's almost like a musical. You'd almost expect her to be, you know, dancing in choreography with a bunch of um, uh, penguins and stuff, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, so Mary breaks into this song, and what she she sees in her is a very theologically correct Christmas spirit here. As a matter of fact, as a, a church... And his grace one of our uh, our we our system of beliefs comes out of the Westminster uh, catechisms and the Westminster confession of faith which are but in the shorter catechism the is the first question the catechisms uh, uh question answer format it says what is the chief end of man what is the chief end of man in other words what is the ultimate purpose and goal for each of us as human beings the chief end of man is to glorify god And enjoy Him forever. I wonder where they came up with that. Maybe right here, right? Because she is magnifying and her soul delights, rejoices in her her God and her Savior. And so Mary has this spirit of worship and delight in God. But how does she get it? How does she come to this place? How do we come to a place where we magnify and glorify God in our lives and delight in Him? How do we... Glorify God and enjoy Him in our lives. How do we come to that place? I mean, it's not something you can conjure up. You know, how do you, you know, it's not something you can will yourself into. So how does she, how does she come to this? Well, here's the, here's the key idea this morning. We will magnify and glorify God when we come to know our desperate need of God. Okay, and this comes in three areas. We know our desperate need of His supply, His, His strength, true strength. And as, as a true Savior. So this first idea is, okay, we must know our, our true need of supply. Okay, we need to know our true need of supply. So Mary comes and she arrives at her aunt's house. And she is in a state of real need. She's a needy person, isn't she? Think about it. We've already mentioned where she comes from. So, like, she's, she's poor. She doesn't have much. Okay, and um, she's, a, she's a female and in, in, in Middle Eastern society at the time, you know, there was not, there was no women's lid, nothing like that. Women, you know, they needed men to live and survive. And so she, she's in a state of real need. And now, now here she is, pregnant and is not married. So she's in a really not good situation. So she just comes to the story in a in a in a need, and she lives in a world of need as well. Her nation is being being occupied by a foreign government, the Romans, who are overtaxing the people. They're abusing people. The people are being crucified. I mean, it is a rough political context, economic context. It was a tough place to be. And so Mary comes, and here she is, a nobody. And all of a sudden, she is somebody, isn't she? All of a sudden... The God of the universe, the one who created all things, the God, notices and, and begins to do something with Mary. I mean, you, you, you know, talk about a grain of sand becoming a diamond. So she comes and, um, and here she goes. And, and so she comes and she witnesses that her aunt is in fact pregnant. Okay, well beyond. And she rejoices knowing that God has, in fact, chosen her not just to love her and and delight in her, but to actually give her the role of of being the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, you talk about a, a, a flip of fortunes. Talk about a Cinderella story, if any, right? Here's a nobody from a podunk town all of a sudden becoming divine royalty, the mother of God, and and says, and Elizabeth says that, women, people are going to talk about you and remember you for generations and generations, and we're still talking about her, aren't we? Who would have talked about Mary, a peasant uh, woman from a trailer park in the Middle East? And think about the millions of others who lived there, worked there, died there, and here's Mary. And so, um, here's, so, here's the thing. M- Mary knows her need. She knows her need for, for God's supply and provision. She knows that she comes to this story with real need. And um, it kind of reminds me, and, but the thing is, is how hard it is for us to know a need. So, we're, we live in a world of provision. <laughs> we have a lot of stuff, don't we? And the problem is, how do we know our need for God's true supply? We think we know what we need. We think we know what we want and need, right? If somebody says, "What do you want for Christmas?" I say, oh yeah, we might even say, I, "I this is what I need for Christmas this year." And most of the time, what we mean is we, we want, right? We don't. Really, we kind of mix that up. It reminds me of the story of. Um, there's a, actually, it's called the Christmas story. It's a movie. If I remember this movie, where little Ralphie, like is like obsessing over his need for that daisy red rider air rifle and so he's constantly plotting and trying to figure out how to communicate to his parents that he needs to have that air rifle that bb gun and so he's slipping stuff into their magazines and and then he figures okay then so once they figure out that's what he wants they tell him what do they tell him you'll shoot your eye out and then he goes, oh, maybe I could tell Santa. And he goes and tells Santa. And he goes and, and, and see, finally he tells Santa. And Santa says, you'll shoot your eye out. And, you know, when his dad gives him the rifle for Christmas, he goes out. And what happens? He immediately goes and shoots his eye out, right? It's a great story. So, but Ralphie thought he knew what he needed. And very often, we think we know what we need. And here's the problem with our scenario. Mary, Mary was actually blessed and given the gift of need. She, there was no question. She needed God to provide for her. I mean, it was a daily, I need you, God, kind of situation. The problem with us in our, in our scenarios very often is we are so inoculated with stuff, material things. Um, we're the top wealthiest people in the world. It's so, it's so easy for us to think that that this world, the possessions, the, the things that, the, that, that we have, will actually give us what we genuinely need. Okay? I mean, so think about the, the difference between need and want. Okay? A need is something you have to have. Okay? Um, and, you know, something you can't live without. The problem is, we need more than stuff. Stuff can't... Stuff can't be ours. It won't give us what we think it will. Okay? Those, these possessions, all these things, more money, more of this, isn't going to give us ultimately what we need. J- Jesus said this when he was being tempted at the beginning of his ministry by the, by the enemy. He, and he says, you, man cannot live by bread alone. We have a greater, deeper need. And Mary kind of his, knows her need for God's ultimate provision. Okay, so we first need to know our need for true supply, but we also need to know our need for true strength. Notice in uh, verses uh, 51 and 52. Bring that up for me. Okay, she says this. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, this, this Magnificat, this song was I think in Nicaragua, Nicaragua by the government at one point banned. People were not allowed to sing or, or pray or use this song at all because it, it is revolutionary. Look at it, right? It's talking about power structures, people on thrones and whatever being cast down. And, and so it, it isn't just a, a, a fluffy, nice little uh, song that she's singing sentimental. This is some pretty radical, intense, revolutionary ideas here. And she's saying that the proud, the strong, the uh, the rulers will be will be taken down off of their thrones, and that is true. I mean, this 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 song takes our thinking on on how the world works and our thinking on how things are, and flips them upside down. He's it's saying if you're humble, if you're poor, if you are in need, you are blessed. And if you if you think you have it, if you think you're in control, you think you're the boss, you're actually going to be that you're going to find out that isn't true. Now, but it's easy cuz I mean I have I've read this and thought, yeah, that's true. I mean those mean old rulers and bosses and dictators, they definitely need to come off their thrones. But I think we need to look at ourselves in this as well. Cuz it's easy to read a verse like this and think it can't possibly apply to me. I don't sit on any kind of throne. I mean, I you know, uh, you know, maybe in the bathroom, but I don't. I'm not a. I'm not am not I'm not a boss or a leader. And maybe you are a boss or a leader. Maybe you are, have some really significant influence and in leadership. That is awesome, and that doesn't mean you have to quit. You have to like step down from that role. But there's a deeper principle here because if you notice, it says um, those who have. Um, Proud thoughts of the heart. Did y'all catch that verse phrase? Okay. And what does it mean to have proud thoughts of the hearts? Okay. I think it means to to believe and think that you are in charge. That you are in control. That you actually have some kind of say in what happens in this world and in your life and the lives of others. So, or you know, to become what you might say is an arrogant person, a person characterized by feelings of unwanted importance, so you think you are more important than you really are, and that you have actual control over things more than you really do, um, and so being humble then means having a realistic view of ourselves, and Mary did Mary knew she is a pawn in the in the scheme of things i mean. Political, economic forces were were you know she knew she's not in control of anything shes yeah. and I think the call here and, and the, the, the principle here is that we, real, we need to realize, wait a minute, we ultimately really don't have control of the situation. We try. I try to make my life good. I try to make it comfortable. I try to make it happy. You know, and I, 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 I try to get that 401k. I want to put my money back, and I want to save money. I want to do this. I want to have all this. And why do we do that? Because we want, ultimately, to control the situation. I want to, I'm going to try to work hard and do what I can to have the positive outcome that I can in this life. And it's really pride when we don't realize that everything we have, we said this a few weeks ago, everything we have is a gift from God. And ultimately, we need to know that we need to rest in His strength, His control, not our own. And when, when he, then when He provides, we can, we'll magnify, glorify Him and delight in Him. Um, and so here's the thing, God wants us and, and is moving us to a place of needing him and to rely on his strength, his control. Um, and, and, and this is like a biblical theme that goes out. So, for example, in Judges chapter 7, Gideon is called to lead God's people. The Midianites, his big army, have been oppressing and, and, uh, uh, oppressing and uh, messing with God's people. And they had this huge army, and people would plant fields. The Midianites would come and like raid them and all this stuff. It was really a bad situation. So God calls Gideon and says, I want you to deliver my people from these oppressors. And so he says, I want you to gather the armies of Israel. And so he gathers all these, I mean, hundreds of thousands probably gather. And he says, okay, I want you to first ask everybody if they're afraid at all. If anybody's afraid, tell them to go home. 10,000 remain. And he says, okay, now I want you to take those 10,000. Take them to the river. And if they drink like an animal, tell them to go home. They were left for 300. And then God says, great, now go. Go defeat this huge army. And Midian, uh, uh, Gideon must have been thinking, what? Why would God do that? And, and the point was... I'm, I'm going to defeat that army with just 300 of you. And, and it's this principle that size doesn't matter, that the, the strong and the proud they think they are, but in comparison to God, they're nothing. And so it's an honest view of ourselves and our situations. It's in Second uh, Corinthians chapter um, 1. It says, God has chosen... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. This is how God does it. He chooses the Marys of the world. All right, so that's the second need. Third need is we must know our need of a true savior. Savior. We need to know our need for a true Savior. So, so Mary's circumstances, I mean, she, she is in a situation of need, isn't she? I mean, she really is. She comes into the story, and there's need all over her. I mean, she might as well have a big neon sign that says need. And, and so, But here's the thing. Her need was, I think, even deeper than her need uh, and to you know, look at God's provision and to look to God for strength and control. Okay? There was a deeper need. She needed a Savior. Now, notice it says, Mary, Mary says in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's looking to God to be her true Savior. In other words, let's get to the point here, is she knew she needed to be saved from her sin. This phrase here is used throughout the Gospels. The Savior. That that the Messiah would come and not just save them politically, economically, all these kind of things. But that that the Messiah, Jesus, would come to save the people from their sins. So Mary knew. She's a sinner. Now, unfortunately, throughout history in in the church... People have looked to Mary and and tried to make Mary a lot more than she should be. Okay, Uh, um, uh, One guy named Derek Thomas says, there's nothing here, you see, of an immaculate conception. In other words, that's a Catholic belief that uh, uh, Jesus was born and Mary had never sinned at all. And that, that's how Jesus became a sinner. No, how Jesus never sinned was because his mother never sinned. No, he, Jesus never sinned because he was, born, he was God. <laughs> you know, uh, he was born of a sin. His mom was a sinner for sure. There's nothing here about perpetual sinless existence. There's nothing about perpetual virginity. And there's nothing about bodily assumption into, hev- into heaven. And there's nothing that would endorse a role for Mary as a co- co-redemptor. Mary was just. A young little peasant girl from Podunk Town, she sinned like everybody else. She had flaws. She was broken. And she knew it. I know my need of a Savior. Mary was a sinner. She wasn't perfect or special. And, and, And here's the thing that, my friends, is the point. When we take that out of the story, we make Mary something, you you flip the whole point of this thing. The whole point was that she was broken, that she was small, that she was nothing. Don't you see it? So if you start elevating Mary, make her some kind of special saint with a halo and floating around above everything, you take the whole message out of this. The whole beautiful aspect of this was that Mary was nothing. And because she was nothing, God chose her and chose to bless her. And that's what he does with us. God, does, You're nothing. You're not special. Other than that God, in his grace, would love you. Here's the thing. God loves the lost. God loves the forgotten, the insignificant, the outcast, the weak, and the broken. And God loves you even in your perpetual, habitual sin. And His mercies are new every day. That is the beauty of this story. And when we try to take that out and make Mary out to be something that she wasn't, we miss the point. We swing and we miss. So when men say lost, God says found. When men say no, He says yes. Yes. When men look at indifference or superiority, God looks with burning love, such as nowhere else is to be found. And when men say contemptible, God cries, blessed. And when we reach a point in our lives where we feel so far away from God, more than we've ever felt in our lives, that then and precisely then, God is nearer to us than he has ever been. That's where he wants us a place where we know our need. At that place of need, God breaks into our lives and he lets us know that our feelings of despair are taken away from us and that we may grasp his wonder and his love and his nearest to us and his grace. And it's at that place when we we desperately know our need and, and God comes in his grace and provision and strength, that's when we magnify, glorify, delight in Him. We, we, we magnify, we rejoice, we break into song and choreograph dancing, maybe. But we, it is a rejoicing that comes out of us. Christmas spirit exists. So Mary's song is about the humble, those who fear God, the weak, the hungry, the poor, who will now see the power and blessing of God. But here's something, I, y'all really got to catch this. Okay, Notice Mary says... My soul. My spirit. Did you all catch that? He's, he has looked God has looked at me. It's very personal. This is not a theological concept. We can do that. We could say yes. People people need God's provision. Of course they do. People need God's strength and control. They need to let go. Let God. And yes, of course all people are sinners. That's true. Not, listen, guys, it, this has got to get real. This has got to be my spirit, my soul, broken, hurting, and in need. And so here's the thing. It was like we got we to gotta come to a place of recognition and knowing and asking God, bring me to a place where I am on my knees, where I do need you. Let me tell you, I am thankful for what God has allowed in my life. The pain, the, the hurt, the, the angst, and whatever. We're always trying to, we're always trying to get, get out of it and, and, and inoculate it and medicate ourselves away from it instead of, and very often we waste our suffering. We waste the, the struggle. We need to realize that is where we need to be. So here's a question, where is your need? Or do you need it? Or do you recognize your desperate need of God and His grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this story.